Turn in the Holy Scriptures tonight to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. In the previous chapter, chapter 5, Darius the Mede has defeated the giant Babylonian Empire and is now the ruler. Daniel 6, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king, and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for thirty days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that should ask a petition of any god or man within thirty days save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And the stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lions' mouths that they have not hurt me, for as much as before him innocency was found in me. And also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceeding glad for him, 
and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. And the king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them and broke all their bones in pieces wherever they came at the bottom of the den. Then King Darius wrote unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. We read that far in God's word. And the entire chapter really is our text this evening. question that faces you and me this evening in the light of this Word of God is this, what will you do when you face the fearsome fangs that are found in the mouth of the devil and in the mouth of all whom he uses? to destroy and to rend in this earth. Let's make it more concrete. What if this evening there was decree issued by the government of the United States that no man shall worship any god nor make any petition of any man except Congress? And the penalty was, as soon as you are found out, you will be thrown into a den of lions. Let's just suppose that. A supposition that's really not that far away. Well, the decree might change a little bit. Instead of a den of lions, you might be threatened to be kicked out as a citizen, de declared a terrorist of some kind, denied food and shelter, but it's really the same thing, what would you do? Don't say the government's not capable of making such a decree. It is, because all governments that operate in the world essentially are of man, and at soon or later will be used by the devil to accomplish his purposes against the church. I say it's an important question more important than you might suppose because it's not simply a matter of life and death. I think even the little children here know that Daniel wasn't simply facing the fangs of some very hungry lions at the bottom of a den that would have the mastery over him before his bones, body hit the ground. I think everyone recognizes there was something else that he faced, which is the fangs of another lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. That how he answered the decree of the king had to do not with what would happen to his body if he defied the king, but what would happen to his soul if he agreed. Those were the two things he weighed in his mind. Agree to the decree and have his body ripped to shreds, his life ended in an instant, become the food of a lion, or agree, not pray, something he probably could have easily justified or something like that, but then 
he faced another reality, which is the judgment of Jesus Christ, the line of the tribe of Judah, and the consequences for defying him. To agree with the king was to defy him. And there one is thrown not into a lion's den, but the everlasting fires of hell. Well, we know what Daniel did. We know the decision he made. And we consider tonight how he did that. How was it that in the face of those fearsome fangs that he knew, he had witnessed men thrown into there. He knew how he defied the king. And he prayed to his king and his Lord, did it openly without hiding it. We're going to consider this evening faith, fang defeating faith. We're going to consider in the first place the power of that faith, face power, and the second, face confidence, the object of faith, and then finally, faith's source. Where did that faith come from? Where did that power come from? Faith is powerful. Faith itself is powerful. And the Bible speaks that way. It is actually quite amazing sometimes when you read that. There are times when Jesus turned to individuals and said to them, your faith saved you. And you go through the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and read that. And read what is done by an individual by faith. Amazing acts of salvation and deliverance attributed to the person himself by faith. Simply another way of saying what Jesus said, which is, your faith saved you. And these are not isolated, rare instances. This happens time and time again. And we have to do justice to that. There is a reason for that. One reason is that it emphasizes a very important truth that we may never, ever forget, which is all of our salvation, every aspect of it, from the greatest to the smallest, from the beginning to the end, all of it is received through or by faith. We're unable to love God except by or through faith. We're unable to receive any of God's grace. The chief and first grace we receive is the gift of faith. And then that is done in Scripture in the second place to show the marvel of salvation. The real miracle of salvation is not that simply God saves some chunks of wood and some dead sticks and some things from the fire to go and remain as dead sticks and chunks of wood, but the marvel of salvation, something that Scripture says is even greater than God's making everything out of nothing. Think of that. God's creation of the world is out of nothing. That is simply astounding. But even more amazing is that God makes the dead the stinking dead, alive and sweet-smelling. He takes the dead chunks of wood and He makes them alive, and He makes them act, to believe, to understand, to know. He takes that which is filthy and rotten and good for nothing and makes it pleasing and right and true. And so great is that miracle it's denied today, left and right left and right. Many deny the miracle by attributing all those such things to the object itself. Attribute the power. Attribute the salvation to the individual giving the faith, but it's also denied on the other side of things, which is to say that the individual doesn't really believe at all. Doesn't act. 
With this particular instance, it is quite amazing what Scripture says and attributes to faith itself, attributes even to Daniel the power to shut the mouth of the lions. And that is something we need to look at. First of all, that faith is a power that enables the child of God to confront and defeat the enemy, to confront and defeat, to stand in front of, in terms of the occasion, the fangs of an enemy, a powerful enemy, an enemy that can't be defeated, an enemy that would have the mastery over you. With regard to our salvation, it is presented as an individual being thrown into the pit, filled with lions, Lions capable of rending 120 men, their wives and their families, almost in an instant. Very powerful men. They couldn't save them. Couldn't deliver them. No one could. But faith did. Faith did with regard to Daniel. That's a picture of our salvation. Now, what's interesting with regard to the power of faith with regard to Daniel, it's not the power of Daniel as such that gave him courage or daring. That's often what's brought out when we look at the passage as a children's song like that. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. Dare to have purpose true. Dare to make it known. Nothing wrong with that. That's true. Daniel had courage. Courage to stand. Courage to defy the king. But the fact is that courage comes from faith. Without faith, there can be no real courage. Or to put it another way, a person could have a certain courage. A courage that even would defy kings. A a courage that men might recognize, but not a courage to do what Daniel did. To give his life for a A God unknown, a God that you cannot see, a a God that's seemingly off in the distance and not there, who would do such a thing? Who has the courage to do that? And so we must see that it's not, first of all, courage that we must examine, but faith. And we mention that because there are also other virtues of Daniel that the Scriptures set forth as an example. It is quite amazing that In particular, this story and this book, these matters of Daniel are so amazing that other prophets comment on them, especially Ezekiel, he comments on them. He was a contemporary. Ezekiel 14, verse 14, and Ezekiel 14, verse 20, for example, extols the righteousness of Daniel. What was remarkable about Daniel is that He remained pure and true to his God, to the law of God, obedience to God. And he did that in a foreign, wicked land that had even conquered his own land. Even accounts Daniel among the likes of Noah and Job. Mentioned together there. Later on in Ezekiel chapter 28, The prophet extols the wisdom of Daniel, which ought not surprise us because that's one of the themes of the whole book. What's highlighted in the book is the exceeding wisdom of Daniel over all his peers in Babylon is found the greatest minds of the day, the wisest men in every sort of way. And Daniel is repeatedly set over them all, even by wicked rulers, they all could see his wisdom. Or, as we read in the passage itself, there was in him an excellent spirit. This explains in part why the king fought for Daniel, why the king was sad about his decree and the result of it. He recognized that with Daniel in charge, he did not need to worry about any of the considerable wealth of the kingdom disappearing under his hand. But again, 
Those virtues are virtues that were received by faith and exercised by faith. When Daniel is recognized for his wisdom in interpreting dreams, Daniel made clear that he received that wisdom from God. He received it because he trusted in his God. It was God who gave him the wisdom to interpret dreams. Likewise, it would be God that Daniel acknowledged was the one who had made him wise with regard to administering the great affairs of this great nation of the Medes and Persians. So faith is where we must look. All of these virtues, courage and righteousness and wisdom, all have their source in faith. And that should be evident. The righteousness of Daniel, where did that come from? Is that found in Daniel himself? Did he possess that himself? Did he have the ability to perfectly obey the law of God? Or is it something that he received by faith? And the answer is by faith. By faith, though Daniel be a sinner, God said of him, he is righteous. And it was God who forgave all the sins that were found in all of his deeds so that God's opinion of him, God's declaration of him was Daniel is a righteous man. And Daniel knew that. And therefore he also lived righteously. Wisdom. We already saw wisdom didn't. Daniel didn't have the wisdom to interpret dreams or even know what these dreams are. In every case, God revealed it, and even the kings had to acknowledge that. And really, these are the first examples of all faith. Faith is very much like God Himself, you understand. Faith is a spiritual instrument. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual connection to Jesus Christ. But it's living. It's a living connection. And just like, for example, the Spirit, you, you cannot see the Spirit, you cannot really know the Spirit is there, except from the effect of the Spirit, what the Spirit does. Like the wind in the trees, you can't see the wind but you know the wind is there because the trees are blowing or you feel it upon your cheek. Well, faith is much the same way. Faith has an effect. Faith has a fruit. And that, by that, the individual knows they have faith. Can confidently declare, I have faith. And we can also have that with regard to others. Well, what are the first fruits? What are the first things that one might see and know that this individual has faith. And we could just point to Daniel. It was in the first place righteousness. He was a righteous man, both in the eyes of God and in the eyes of men. There's a reason why they finally had the decree made that they did. Can you imagine these men and the spies they had watching Daniel going through every action, every decree, everything that he had done, they had gone through with a fine-tooth comb. Surely he took a little funny money under the table. Surely Daniel fudged the books a little bit. Surely that new device he just got, he somehow got with the king's money. But they couldn't find anything everywhere they looked. Nothing. Nothing. And they realized the only way they're going to trip up this guy is to pit him against the king and really pit the law of God against the law of their king. That was what they had to do. Why? Daniel had faith. You could point to his courage. Point to that courage. The point is it all leads to faith. It is by that faith that he confronted the fangs of those lions and he defeated them. He defeated them. That's the amazing thing. And that's not my conclusion. That's the conclusion of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit said that. Find that in Hebrews 11, verse 33. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon or of Barak, of Samson, of Jephthah, 
of David and Samuel and the prophets who, who through faith, notice, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, and stopped the mouths of lions. You recognize that last phrase, right? That's talking about one particular prophet, Daniel. Daniel, the Holy Spirit said, stopped the mouths of lions. And he did that by faith. There was a power, a power found in faith. And by that power, Daniel stopped the mouths of the lions from devouring him. Now that's not the only thing that he did. What's amazing about that particular passage is it's talking about prophets in general, and it gets to one particular prophet that we know is the one who stopped the mouths of lions. But everything there really applies to him. He subdued kingdoms. Did you ever look at the book of Daniel that? That by the power of faith, Daniel did what all the wicked princes of Israel couldn't do, which is defeat the Babylonian Empire. Defeat the Persian Empire. They're both going to be defeated by this one lone single man when all the armies of Israel and Judah were slaughtered by these same kings, these powerful, powerful men. How did he do that? Well, in the first place, by living righteously. That's brought up. Who wrought righteousness. That is, they lived righteously. Here is a young boy brought to this foreign land and his entire life living in the most wicked place on earth, Babylon, the place synonymous with wickedness. We find him living faithfully to his God. If ever there was an individual who had opportunity to sneak around in all sorts of funny business and sins, who had at his disposal anything the heart desires. You don't think Daniel had at his disposal all kinds of women, all kinds of food and drink and wine and song? He was faithful to his God. And in that, he defeated those two kingdoms. They, as it were, threw everything they could at him. And to it all, he said, no. God revealed His promises to this man. God revealed the promise of His salvation that's found right there in the text. How did God do that? By faith. Time and time again, as soon as He's confronted that situation, one time even in a life-threatening situation, He goes to God. He prays to God. And God is pleased to respond to His prayer by giving Him the dream and the interpretation. God didn't have to do that. It's an amazing thing. We need to remember that, that faith is a real spiritual power to accomplish real, actual, physical things, even in this life. Do we understand that? That it's a real power in the physical realm? Or do we simply look at Hebrews 11 and say, well, that was then. Those kinds of things don't happen today. Oh, no? Let's put it in contemporary terms. Faith is a power by which one saves his house. If your house will be saved, it will be saved by the power of faith. That's the example of Noah. Faith is a power by which one will leave a strange uh, a land, the land of their fathers, for a strange land. Because God is calling them to do so. Your fathers did that. Many of your Fathers came here partly because of persecution. They feared not to leave the land of their fathers, to leave their homes, to leave their farms, to leave it all for the sake of faith. Faith is the power whereby barren women have children. What? That was just a thing for Sarah? No. If a barren woman has a child, today in the church, it will have occurred by the power of faith. Faith is the power to forsake honor and riches, as in the case of Moses. Faith has the power to destroy kingdoms and nations, like occurred at the time of Rahab. 
The Bible indicates that even when Christ returns, Christ will return in response to the prayers of all His people, praying with all their heart together in unison, Lord, come quickly, lest we perish. There will be a time that faith removes mountains and casts them into the sea, and the people of God will be praying for that, for the utter destruction of the kingdom of this world, which is threatening the very existence of the church of Jesus Christ. Faith has that power still today. This is the power of faith in all Christians living in this world, a power that affects our actual physical life, a power that determines whom we marry and how we marry. It determines how we view earthly riches and goods, a power that determines our willingness to forsake the world for God, to defy kings and decrees if the government should tell us that we cannot worship or we be thrown to a den of lions, it will be faith that stands up. And it might be just a few, but it will be few who have this faith and says, no, take my life, but I will not defy my God. You see, we read that he shut the mouths of the lions, which rendered those fangs useless. It turned those ravenous beasts into nothing more than little kitty cats. That's what faith did. And this isn't something that should be strange to us. What's so wonderful and interesting about the story of Daniel is it immediately reminds you of Christ. You see Christ there. And you see Christ because you immediately think of all these other passages that time and time again represent our enemy, our chief enemy even, the devil, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And that's who we have to see at the cross. There's Christ. And you have the most fearsome beast ever made. The most powerful. And one who has taken all that power into his own service, the devil, and there is one seemingly helpless before him. Fangs, claws, power, incomparable. And Christ defeated him. How did he defeat him? Well, faith. Faith that believed the Word of God, actually. When first confronted by the devil, the roaring lion, Time and time again, he responded, have you not read? Do you not know? This is what the Word of God says. He's going to go into the lion's den, as it were, be rent to pieces, and forever shut the mouth of that beast, rendering him, rendering him absolutely helpless. No threat, as it were, at all. That's the power of faith today. The Psalms say that God's wisdom shuts the mouth of the unjust who accuse us falsely today. Romans 3 verse 19 says the law of God, the very law that these princes despised, shuts the mouth of the whole world so that it's guilty before God. The New Testament says the Holy Spirit will give us at the right time just the right word that shuts even the mouths of kings so they cannot harm us. And that the word of God, that we are righteous through Jesus Christ, shuts the mouth of Satan. Do you remember that? Do you realize that? When Satan opens his jaws and wants to swallow you up, and he comes with the same thing every time you're a sinner. And it works with men because men have to admit that. We have to admit it. What shuts his mouth is, but I'm righteous. Oh yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm righteous. I'm righteous through faith in Jesus Christ who loved me. And every time it shuts his mouth, renders him absolutely helpless to hurt you. Understand that? That's a real power. 
Don't ever forget it. You don't think that that went through Daniel's mind as a real power when he was facing the king. That my God has delivered me from death and hell. And it really doesn't matter what's about to happen. I am free from the dominion of far worse beast than what's found in that lion's den. Now faith, faith also is confidence. And we have to understand that in many ways that's its power. It's the expression of faith, to be sure. It's what faith is, but it's really faith's power. It's confidence. And what was the confidence of Daniel's faith? What, what was it? And herein lies the key. His confidence obviously wasn't in himself. Daniel knew he couldn't interpret dreams. Daniel knew he couldn't shut the mouths of lions. It wasn't impossible. He couldn't do that. He knew he was righteous. He knew he was wise, but he knew that was not in himself. That's faith. Faith recognizes that. Faith, faith immediately says that. That righteousness isn't in me. That wisdom isn't found in me of myself. I have no power over lions. I'm not able. He knew full well that if he defied the king, what was going to happen? He was powerless to stop all that. His power, his, his confidence wasn't in his colleagues. I suppose he could have had a certain faith in his colleagues or even in the king. The king liked him. The king, he had the ear of the king. Imagine that. Daniel could have lived his life thinking to himself that my, my confidence, my my strength is in the fact that I'm, I'm second in command here. Most powerful nation on earth. I have 120 princes doing my back and call. And they listen to me. They obey me. Look at all this power that's in my hands. He could have put his confidence in that. But faith doesn't do that. That's not faith. Faith always recognizes that there's much more powerful things than ourselves. Daniel knew something about his colleagues, which is they were wicked men. They didn't trust in the living God. And sooner or later, they were going to turn on him. They were men of greed. They were men of jealousy. That's what the natural ban is. Daniel knew even something about the king. The king, as powerful as he was, absolute ruler of her, Lord of earth, was capable of turning on him for his own sake, just like Pilate did, right? There was Pilate before. Yeah, he's innocent. Should have come to Christ's defense, but didn't do it, did he? Well, faith knows these things. So Daniel's faith, his confidence, the power, the power to act and to do wasn't in himself, wasn't upon himself or his colleagues or the king or any such thing. In fact, his confidence, we must understand this, wasn't even in the fact that God would deliver him from the lions. We make that mistake. And it's actually paralyzing. We mustn't misunderstand Daniel here. He didn't disobey the king and do what he did, praying publicly, knowing he would get caught, under the illusion that if he was thrown in that lion's den, God would, in fact, shut the lion's mouth. He didn't know that. Just like Daniel's three friends with regard to the furnace too. They defied the king. They were not careful about giving him an answer. They gave one promptly and immediately. But they told the king, we don't know if he's going to deliver. We know he's able to. We don't know if he's going to. But it doesn't matter. We're delivered from a far worse fire than what you're stoking over here. Nebuchadnezzar. You see, the power of faith is its confidence that God can. That God can do these things. Not that God would, but that God could. And the reason why that's a power and not the other is God never promises to deliver such things. God never promised Daniel, I'll deliver you from the lion's den. Never said to the three friends, I'm going to deliver you from the burning fiery furnace. God never says to us, you'll never lose a child or never have an accident. God doesn't come to us and say, I'm going to cure your cancer. I'm going to keep you from this or that. You shall not suffer any war. God doesn't promise that. 
And so faith mayn't have any confidence in that. Those who teach faith to have confidence that, that faith has no power. It will collapse. It's a false faith. No, the power of faith is in its confidence that God can. It's faith's confidence that if it's God's will, though I be a hundred years old and I'm barren, God can give me a child. God can give me a job when I lose it. God can give me a million dollars if I need it. God can give me relief from persecution when I can't endure it. God can give me strength to forsake the world when it's required. God, God can do these things. God is able to do that, and I have no doubt about that whatsoever. That's its confidence. That is, to put it more bluntly, its confidence is in the power, the promises, and the will of God. That's evident from his reaction to the king's decree, isn't it not? The king makes a decree, and what does Daniel do? He immediately goes and prays, gets on his knees, and publicly prays. You see, Daniel's faith showed itself long before he was thrown to the lions. Daniel's faith reveals itself when he weighs the consequences and then acts, decides to disobey the king. He knows. He fears the king. He fears this king and what he's able to do, but he fears God more. He fears God more than that king. He fears his wrath more than the lion's. He fears the mouth of Harold more than the mouth of the lion's den. By faith, he disobeys the king and prays to God. There's his confidence. There's the power of his faith. Notice he prays to his God, a particular God, a God that even the, the king recognized wasn't their God. A particular God, the living God, the sovereign God, the God whom he believes is alone able to do these things. A God he knew. A God with whom he believed had done everything that he had witnessed in his lifetime. He knew what God was capable of. But notice too, he, he prays before his God indicating that the essence of prayer is covenant fellowship with God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is communion with God. He didn't simply get on his knees to ask God to deliver him, didn't get on his knees really even primarily to thank God as such, but as an expression of his love for God, his communion with God. He wanted to talk with his God. He wanted to hear his God speak to him. Notice, too, he prays facing Jerusalem. That's an amazing expression of the confidence of his faith. Think of what Jerusalem is at this time. He, he prays facing toward Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem had been destroyed. Had been destroyed by a kingdom that this king had just destroyed. Now, you talk about faith. In human terms, if he was in his right mind, he would say, I am not defying this king. This king just destroyed the most powerful nation on earth, which laid waste to Jerusalem, which laid waste to God's temple. Human rational thought would say, what in the world would I trust in that God for? But Daniel knew God, and knew God was capable of doing such things even to his own people. God we saw this morning, does not tolerate idolatry. He will destroy his own city and temple if that's what's required to get rid of the idols. And that God you fear, that God you obey, that God you do not defy. But Daniel's confidence was in God, in God's faithfulness. You don't think he knew that too? That by faith Daniel knew that even though God had done these things, there was still a people serving and worshiping Him. He knew that. You see, that explains why faith is so powerful. Faith is only as powerful as the object of it. Why is that? Well, you know the answer. Because faith of itself has no power. Faith doesn't save. Scripture says it does, but it 
does it really. That's an expression, a true expression. It's true because it's by faith that we receive the power of salvation. It's a means by which we receive that. It's one expression used in place of the other. What's the power? What's the power of faith? What's the power that actually stopped the mouths of the lions? And the answer is the object of his faith. That's why I could preach to you all day long. Don't put your trust in all these other things. But it's, it should be obvious. That's the foolishness of men. Think about it. Men put their trust in a bunch of globs of gold and silver that they had to pick up and move around. That thing isn't saving you. It can't. It won't. And faith believes in the God who saves and delivers. If not from physical illnesses and problems, certainly from the devil and his dominion. What's the source of that faith? And the answer is God. That's evident from the testimony, well, of Scripture. I quoted earlier, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's not of you. It doesn't have its source in you. You didn't gain it. It's the gift of God, Ephesians 2, verse 8. This is the testimony of Daniel. Although Hebrews 11:33 says that he stopped the mouths of the lion, Daniel confesses in verse 27, it's God. God. God did this. This was even the confession of King Darius. Verse 27, he was forced to admit that God delivered and rescued Daniel. He did that by working signs and wonders. That is, miracles. And we might even add, including giving the gift of faith to Daniel. How do we know that? Well, it's obvious there's no earthly physical explanation for what happened. None whatsoever. There's no physical or earthly explanation for why this man would defy the king. Why you would find him in his house with his windows open praying. Might find an explanation for him doing that in the closet hidden somewhere and then getting caught. But that's not faith. There's no explanation for what happened in that lion's den. There's no explanation for that king who then commands that Daniel who accused Daniel, then cast the families that accused him into that same lion's den. And they have the mastery over them. There's no explanation for that. Worth noting that Daniel did not receive that faith or have that faith just at that moment. There's a reason why the chronology occurs the way it does in the book of Daniel. What the story of Daniel teaches us is he was given that faith already when he was a small boy. It was evident already when he was selected by the king's men to be taken among the little children, to be spared when all the rest were not spared by selecting him and taking him to Babylon. There's a reason why, even as a small child, he is placed at the head of responsibilities. That's when God often gives faith in the covenant. And there's no explanation for that either. That's evident when you read the story and Daniel, as it were, comes out of nowhere. He's living in a corrupt, wicked city that God is about to destroy, flatten, burn. And there's this little boy. What's that all about? That's God saying, God is pleased to do this and give this according to his sovereign good pleasure, even though he might ordinarily use parents to strengthen and teach faith. And God did that with Daniel too. It's really interesting, in fact, if you read the history of Daniel, turn the page, go to chapter 7, and in there is an event that actually occurs before the lion's den, and it's a dream. And in that dream, God communicates how he's going to destroy this king. <laughs> and his kingdom, and all the rest of them, with the kingdom of Christ. Why does God give him that dream? The answer is God not only gave him faith, but God was strengthening his faith. God was preparing him for that particular moment. God knew. God knew all this was going to happen. God did it all. God worked it all. The power of faith, the confidence of faith, the effect of it all. There's no other explanation. 
Yeah, God used the means. God used means to strengthen that faith. See, even interesting in the passage that Daniel confesses that God didn't directly shut the mouths of the lions. Just, just think of the Scriptures here. Um, Hebrews 11 says Daniel did it. Daniel says angels did it. And Darius, the wicked king, actually says God did it, which is correct. God used means, however, but those things aren't contradictions. They're not incompatible. The great work of God is that He… Did, did you notice that? Again, there too, faith. Angels are spirit beings. They're not physical beings, they're spirit beings. But spirit beings that have power over the physical world so that they could shut the mouths of lions. Don't overlook that. They were, as it were, the hand of God clamped over the mouth of those lions, just holding them shut. A couple of angels. Angel. That, that's amazing too, but that's our God. God keeping Daniel. God doing it all. And isn't that our experience too? God gives us faith. Sometimes we're not even aware of it. Just gives it to us and we grow up. And during that, He's cultivating it, nurturing it, strengthening it so that it grows and it prospers. And, and sometimes with a, a very important crisis that He knows is coming in your life, that you must endure, that you must make the right decisions with regard. And why does He do that? So that, like this story, we stand here and we're in awe of Him. We look at such a binial, we we'll scratch our head and say, there's no earthly explanation for that decision. There's no earthly explanation for what they did and why they did. By human reasoning, that's not what you do. But the reasoning of faith is that's exactly what you do. Well, that was the faith that was confessed tonight. We hear a confession of faith and we hear the answers to some questions and we don't often think about what, what it's really about. We don't think about what faith is capable of doing, what faith receives, and how we truly, truly live by faith. So let's give thanks to our God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, O Lord, we thank Thee for victory over the evil one, shutting his mouth rendering his fangs useless, delivering us from all the power of the devil through our Lord Jesus Christ, and giving us faith so that we know and understand these things and are be able to behave and act as we do in this world of sin and iniquity. We pray that for Anthony and Zach and for ourselves, for our own children and grandchildren, who, Lord, thou art good to us for this great and wonderful gift of faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.